Before we get started, there's something I'm really excited to share with you. It's no secret that we think diversifying your income is incredibly important. One way that we do it is by investing in rental properties. We've done a ton of research, interviewed experts, and invested over $100,000 of our own money in income-producing rental properties. I am proud to announce that we're launching Rental Properties for Passive Investors. It's a course on exactly how you can passively invest in rental properties. Like our podcast, it's incredibly actionable and details exactly how we've both purchased and managed our rental properties. It also includes a year of investable, the analysis tool we use to make sure the rental properties we purchase are actually profitable. Finding the deal is half the battle. You need to know your numbers to make a profitable investment. We're running a pre-sale for $100 off. Head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash REI to learn more. That's listenmoneymatters.com slash REI for $100 off rental properties for passive investors. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters. If you want to burn some calories while working, then jump to conclusions, push your luck, and dodge Deadlines. My name is Matt, and I'm here as always with Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And what are you drinking? I am feeling great because uh, Sam just finished a gauche, a goza, goza. Yeah, it'll be a word that you never pronounce, right? I'll, I'm, I'll accept that. Okay. I mean, I, I really like, don't like pronounce H- anything it's like, it's right. Like Ahrefs, Ahrefs <laughs> right. forever. Or secretary. Secretary. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't think no, secretary. I know. It's like it's a fight that I have with Laura all the time. It's okay. How I pronounce it. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm drinking Dragon's Milk White, which is a bourbon barrel aged white stout. And oh. it is smooth, creamy, and legendary. And I would say that all three are true. What? Who makes it? Um, God, now you're asking the hard hitting questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, Holland, Michigan. Yeah, oh, no, I it's brewed it in Holland. Holland, Michigan. It's newhollandbrew.com. New Holland, yeah, I figured it was. Mm. All right, so dr- they do dragon's milk. Mm. So it's yeah, it's um, white white stouts you don't see very often. I've never seen or tasted one before. Yeah, it's basically uh, a stout that is. It's like a summer um, stout not, almost. It's, yeah, it's not really a stout. It's it's a ale or like a um a light ale brewed with coffee and chocolate. So it kind of has like a the roastiness and the chocolatiness of a stout without actually using roasted grains to, to change the color. Like you know that like back of the tongue taste of AW root beer or the, the yeah. cream soda one. It's yep. got like a bit of that. It's just so good. Maybe it's maybe it's got a little bit of lactose in it. Yeah. Which is milk sugar. Yeah. Good. It could for sure. Damn right, it's good. Um I am drinking my own shit. That, no, that's I mean what like it's my own beer. Shit? No, it's called. Uh, I don't have a name for it. It's, it's a Kolsch. It, it it came out a lot lighter than I wanted to. It's only a four percent Kolsch, mm. but it's clean and it's drinking well and it's carbonated. So, what version is this? This is the third version of it, but I got a new system to brew on, so I don't really have it dialed in yet. Oh, uh, so okay. and I changed the recipe slightly, and I kind of messed. I I added less grain, so it's just like a lot a lot lighter in alcohol, mm. but. Figured session. See, I would have thought that was day. like a yeast or a sugar thing. No, I mean it can be. It can be a. I mean it's a sugar thing for sure. I guess it grain can be has a, sugar in it. Is that the a grain 
con- is converted into sugar uh, okay. through the mashing process. Yeah. Hmm. It's good. It tastes good. Just really light. This is really, really light beer. I'm just waiting to be anyway. shipped to keg. When you obviously I'm, have to come here, <laughs> set up the kegerator. Yeah. Well, I'll do that. And um, I'm, I'm thinking about buying a canner, so I might be able to ship Ooh. cans. We're uh, working on it. I don't <laughs> want to spend all that. It's, it's like $800 canner, and mm. I don't know worth doing or if i'm actually going to end up using it so uh we'll see if somebody will send it to me for free <laughs> we'll see <laughs> probably not though so our catchphrase today comes from brian via email thank you brian it's actually a really good catchphrase yeah you jump to if you want to burn calories while, while working jump to conclusions push your luck dodge deadlines i like it that's gonna be very Clever. nimble Clever, Brian. Thank you. All right. Today, we're doing five questions. Also, we need catchphrases, by the way. Please. Please. Andrew is literally on his knees mm. begging. His, his hands are folded. I have, I have a boot. You don't have to do that. So no I one can... can see you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one can see you. Get up. Damn it. All right. So today, we're doing five questions. And the first question is all about buying a car. And it's from Kelly. And she says, I have a question for saving for a car. You have a rule of saving at at least 20% before buying a house to avoid the PMI. Is there any similar rule of how much to save for a car? Should I try to save the full cost of the car before I go buy one so that I can avoid taking out a loan? Or does it make more sense to invest some of that money and use a loan to finance the rest? So, well. Matt Givanese, <laughs> having listened to the time value of money episode, yeah. what would you say? I would say that you should definitely take out a loan. And I think car loans are really interesting because they have pretty low interest. Mm. They're really low interest. Yeah. And you should take that money that you're saving and put it towards something that will actually make you money as opposed to losing you a ton of money, which is actually buying a car. So, I absolutely agree. I have a few things to kind of frame it. So um, if you go to Wikipedia and you uh, or you Google depreciation Uh or depreciation space Wikipedia, you're going to get this uh, beautiful picture, um, which is basically a Andrew's face giving you a a down thumb. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) No car for you. No, no. (laughs) It's it's a depreciation bad. (laughs) It's a graph of the depreciate the average depreciation of a car. And uh-huh. um, on average, uh, in the first year, you're going to lose 15% of the value of the car. So it, so on the car that's $30,000, that means like you, after the first year, you just lose $4,500. So right. already, if you just bought, if you're in, we're in 2019 right now, if you bought 2018's mm-hmm. version of that same mm-hmm. car, you'll literally save yourself <laughs> $4,500. And wow. I'm going to tell you that they're basically the same car. I mean, maybe the right. seat the seat has a warmer on it or something. I don't know. Yeah. So one, that. Two, you should definitely listen to the episode we just did on time value of money. But uh, back-to-back leases are going to be far, like two back-to-back three-year leases. I don't care what car uh-huh. you're buying. Um, will be almost certainly more effective than just flat-out buying a six-year loan. Right. And a six-year loan. Right. Yes. Right. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll go about, do the, do the one example of, you know, you have an $18,000 car, right? Mm-hmm. And they say to you, um, 
we will give you, if you're going to buy this car in cash, we'll give it to you for $16,000. So you're like, okay, great. This is a great example. Then, Where'd you come up with this? <laughs> <laughs> it's totally off the top of my head. The second example is they give you a 0% interest loan uh, for this, for, but, but you pay the full amount. You pay 18000 Which one do you take? And the, and the answer uh, is answer B because- You pay more up, for the car. You don't take the $2,000 discount. Right. But you find because it. Right, because a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow, and you could be taking that money that you have today, that that sixteen thousand dollars that you would have put down and put it into the stock market, which you'll make money instead of you'll make six to seven percent instead of losing fifteen percent in the first year. So finally, I have one last point. There is okay. a reason why we're doing these two back to back three year leases and whatever. Um, so Uber, Lyft, Google, Apple, Tesla, and Ford are all separately working on their own self-driving car things. Mm-hmm. Car industry experts that we did in an episode, I want to say last year, maybe it was the beginning of this year. Um, basically, the consensus of like, you know, GM, CEO, Ford, blah, blah, blah. They think uh, humans will be driving as many miles as machines in 2025. So that's about five to six years from now. Okay. So self-driving cars will be a serious thing then. Um, yep. <clears throat> I mean, we're talking about massive corporations spending tens of billions of dollars on this. Figuring out this problem. Right. Which will suss itself out in about five to six years. And if I were you, I would do two back-to-back three-year leases on a car and put my money behind all the companies that you love that they're going to make it damn cheap to have transportation as a service. So don't buy it, please. Do not buy the car outright. With um, with money, with your cash. Not to mention that it is literally cheaper to lease it for two, three year things than to own it outright for a six year thing. And I'm all about that lease right now, baby. I'm all about it. Boom. It's a utility. Think about your car as a utility, not a toy. That's right. If you can. I mean, if it's a toy and you think that way, different scenario. If you just want a really cool toy, you want to own it and you want to work on it and fix it, totally different scenario than just like, buying a car to get you from point A to point B and look good in it, you know, that's, again, it's your, I, you rent, you rent, you know, I, I rent things now. Hmm. It's like, it's fleeting. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I hope that helps, Kelly. I appreciate the question. Super listen to the Ooh. previous episode. Will be helpful. Yeah, please. Uh, all right, so moving on to question number two from Amanda. Amanda. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh I'm God. sure you've heard that. Yeah. A million times, Amanda. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to. I know. We're not in second grade anymore. So sorry. Uh, what's wait, what's the name of that movie? Uh, I can't think Something of Something about oh my God. Mary Amanda. No. no. Oh, my God. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Where she was the cleaning Oh, lady? my God. It's driving me nuts, dude. Seth Green. Jesus Christ. Why can't I think of it? Uh, you you are the king of all references. On, so I'm man. pretty disappointed. I am. I, you know what? I've had used two to beers. be the king of all references. But I... I uh, can't hardly wait. Great movie. <laughs> Any hoozle. All right, moving on to Amanda's question. What are the pros and cons of using Fundrise to invest in real estate? And Fundrise. Fundrise. Mm. At what step in your financial goal should you consider using it? Uh, example, invest in a 401k first, general market investing slash betterment second, etc. Is it more useful for long-term versus short-term investing? Also, how does it stand up to the other user-friendly investment companies like Betterment? Mm. 
I took this as like a deeply existential crisis on all the decisions that I've made. Did a whole bunch of yeah. math. Super sorry, Laura, for having to hear it this morning and okay. again while you're editing. <laughs> Ooh, boy. Um, all right, give it give it to me straight, Doc. It's long term because it's not uh, liquid. I mean, okay. it is it is co- liquid quarterly, but it's not like the stock market. Um, or Betterment. Right, better than we could literally sell liquid. it tomorrow and transfer right. your account into, I don't know, less than three business days. Yeah. Um, so I, I checked it out and Malora and my assets, if you exclude properties, rental properties, and businesses, so basically just invested things and broad services, about 15% of our assets are fundrise. Okay. So 15%. Uh, when you exclude property, rental property, businesses. Yes. And that, that means about 85% is like in the general market, bond stocks, yeah. okay. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is maybe, a, I think if you sat between 10 and 15% of your total investable money in something like Fundrise, I think that makes sense. Broadly, okay. you should be in the stock market. Um, mm-hmm. It is a great diversification into real estate. They perform incredibly well. I love their approach, um, but I wouldn't put it above something like Betterment. It is a in tandem. Would you consider Fundrise to be like where you would invest fund money? Like money that like you're kind of okay losing? Yes. Um, Even though it's maybe a little bit more stable than like gambling obviously so laura but, asked me this morning if she if if i thought it was like riskier than yeah betterment and you know i don't want to be uh predicting of the future although we do even still do it to a degree i uh-huh. i actually in my gut kind of feel like it is less but you know it is uh you're investing in one company's methodology deal making yeah. and i can super get behind it but at the end of the day the smart money goes to the broad stock market that yeah. said, I think people kind of know how I feel. And these days, uh, we are investing two times as much into Fundrise as we are into the market. Um, and what we are investing to the market's basically the golden butterfly. And yeah. so that is essentially like taking your Betterment account and setting it to 40-60. 40% stock, 60% bonds. So Okay. So as far as in the hierarchy of things that you should do first, obviously 401k, general stock market investment, investing, betterment, and then Fundrise kind of third. Yeah. So you have to kind of check all those other boxes, yeah. you know, and if, if you're excited, you could definitely get in there and do it. But and I would, I would even, I would even add to that, like 401k plus an IRA, then betterment. Then well, an IRA is like a, a container, a retirement account. You, sure. you could have Fundrise in an IRA, you could have Betterment in, in an IRA. Okay, but yes, you should certainly max your IRA. Yeah, yeah. Do you think I should get into Fundrise? I mean, personally, me talking to mm-hmm. you, I, I absolutely think so. Um, based on my feelings on where things are going, uh. I feel like if the stock market tanks, the stock market is not the real estate market, one, and Fundrise's strategy is not based on like fix and flips or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, they're dealing with like large scale developers that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And right. so I think um, 
largely they will be not impacted. And that that is my gambit. All right. Well, I hope that answers your question, Amanda. What do you think? You think you got it? <laughs> I was like so excited to answer that one. Yeah. Good. Ooh. All right. Moving on to Jason's question. Question number three. Mm. Uh, hey, guys, listening to the show this weekend and heard the 4% retirement rule comes up a lot. I also hear you say it might be 3.5%. Some say it's 4.5%. I had run across two articles recently that say it might be much higher depending on your time frame. Would love for you guys to summarize your thoughts and planning behind the rule on an upcoming episode. How about we do it on this Ooh, motherfucking I, episode? I like that. All right. <laughs> so, so where do we where do we stand with the four percent rule? Where are we Where are we at? Well, first, I want to be clear that lower is more conservative and higher is yes. more aggressive. So, and I I tend to kind of lean more conservative when right. it comes to. So, if you think things are going to work out poorly, you'd subscribe to the three percent rule. If you yeah. think everything's just about to blow up and be awesome. You'd subscribe to the five percent rule, right? So pessimistic okay. lower number. It's kind of like <laughs> right, and and us East Coast brains are pessimistic to the max. To all hell. Yeah, right. The only, the only other thing that we have is anger, just pessimism yeah. and anger. But here's the thing: you can you can we can just call it the three to five percent rule. Can we just mm. call it that? Yeah. All right, and I've been talking a lot about this idea. Mm-hmm. I've been talking a lot about fire recently, and I think it's really interesting. Regardless of the percentage, like the percentage is not even important mm. in this. I mean, I'm, I mean, but we'll get to uh, it, but go on. Well, it's, 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 it's a part of the conversation, but like, I don't even, I don't care if it's 3%. I don't care if it's 5%. There's just one thing to think about here. I, and, and maybe, and correct me if I'm, if you think I'm like speaking out of, out of school here, but we're not in school. So you are, you know, we're not in school, school. But, but go on. 4% doesn't matter if the market, if if what you put in is gone. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not trying to be dire or or a pessimist here in this scenario, but let's think of it this way. 2008 sparked this revolution of fire, right? right. It's it sparked this like, hey, let's and, and I think you had said it at one point that the term fire, the acronym for fire is really just an acronym to say be better with money. Yeah. Right? It's just like be smarter with money. That's the, that's really the movement, but we needed a fucking cool name mm. to, to be like, we're not financial nerds. We're fire. Yeah. Not, not the festival right? fire, fire, not fire. The festival. Yeah. Not with a Y. Yeah, Come on. But, those guys are assholes. But definitely watch that at Hulu. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Both. <laughs> so we, so, so what's interesting is let's say you started fire in 2008 mm-hmm. and for the, for the last, you know, nine years, green pastures, 10 years, you've been fucking killing Yeah. And if you can retire today and take 4%, great for you. You got a million dollars in the bank. You're taking a $40,000 a year at the 4% rule. Mm-hmm. Hell, you're taking $35,000 a year at a 3.5% rule. Hell, you're taking $50,000 at the 5% rule. Whatever. We have a recession in 2020. Mm-hmm. Let's just say. How much fucking percentages are you taking? Well, what if when your money's cut in goes- half. That 4% right. rule is now $20,000. <laughs> exactly. That 5% rule. I don't want to count $30,000. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing. What it's, what it's not 
is the six to seven percent rule hmm. because at that point you're just taking all your earnings you're just taking all your your investment money and so the idea right? with the four percent rule is it's the amount of money that you can withdraw to sustain your income like into infinity with right. a 95 percent certainty as of 1998 when it was created and while your money still grows like your money will still grow and you will be able to take income mm. right that is why four percent makes sense now in a boom market it might go to 4.5 percent because guess what the the average return in the market might be up to eight nine ten percent who knows right and then everyone's going to be screaming dude why not take forty five thousand dollars a year at a million dollars a pop yeah, because hell, fucking the economy is doing great. Mm. And then as soon as we have a recession, they're gonna be like, now it's the two percent rule. <laughs> now it's the one percent rule. It's like it's it's really dependent on where we are that in the market. That that cuts to the core of it. One, yeah. it's a rule of thumb. We could talk about the one percent right. rule with rental properties, and you may right. not get that, or you may do better yeah. than that, or I don't know, whatever. Or right. the rule of seventy-two, or all these like rule of thumb, quick math, rule of thumb. Obviously, mileage may vary. Two, we cannot predict the future. You cannot predict the future. And if you can, email us. Call us. (laughs) And you're hired. (laughs) Yeah, email us. 21st century, Max. Future predictors start at $1,000 an hour. (laughs) Nostradamus, if you're listening. (laughs) That's right, yeah. Um, Email us or use your telepathic energy to let us know. And and to the core of what you said... um, you need to apply the right logic to the scenario. So in the great green pasture years of, you know, things are blowing up, you probably need to take 3%. And in the, you know, the year, if you had to pull from your retirement and shit sucked, you may even still want to take 3% because right. you've, your money it. halved. And the, the thing is, or, or rather, you could take more when times are good and less when times are bad. And you could yeah. calculate it. And honestly, it's not that crazy of a calculation, but there are also tools that will just tell you. And so, right. for example, Betterment helps you plan the upswing, planning for retirement. Mm-hmm. And if you have money in Betterment, when it's when you like literally flip a toggle, like I'm retired, they help you tell, like they help tell you what you could withdraw each month. They can even right. just do it automatically for you, so that, yep. and unlike you know, you tell them how long it needs to last and whatever. So. It's a rule of thumb, and it depends. Listenmoneymatters.com slash betterment. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, yeah, don't get too hung up on the, the number. Mm. It's, a, it's a number that you can take out safely while still growing if you have enough money to, to want to do that. Yeah. Otherwise... Um, again, I wouldn't retire based on, I hit the 4% exactly. I think it's like you're hitting the ballpark of, and right. If you're, you're in the, you're in the frame. Yeah. Right. And like, but if you're super interested in like running Monte Carlo simulations on this across whatever to the nth degree, 4% rule.com super awesome calculator. Uh, we'll literally do that for you and you could spend hours on it. Cool. Um, yeah. So, Jason, I hope that answers your question, or at least sort of clarifies how we where we stand as a show on the four percent rule. Mm. I don't know if we <laughs> we it's a three to five percent rule. Mm. I think is where we landed. Maybe. Yeah, I would agree. 
Great. Okay. We're going to take a break, but after the break, we're going to- We got good questions. We got good questions. All right. We're coming back. We'll be right back. All right. Moving on to question number four from Jim. Jim, Jim, Jim. Okay. Here we go. Uh, My wife. (laughs) I I kind of hoped you were going to do that. No, thank you so much. So my wife and I currently live in a neighborhood in Southwest Denver. We just had a baby and decided that we need some family help. That said, we're planning to move back east next March. Our dilemma is this. On one hand, we believe we could sell the house and pocket a decent chunk of change, maybe in the sixty dollars to $80,000 range, depending on how the market is next spring. On the other hand, we are very much interested in renting the house. Rentals in our area for the size home that we have is roughly $2,000 per month. Our mortgage is currently sitting at $1,725 per month, so $1,725 per month. However, if we decide to rent it out, we're considering doing a refi as our rate is 4.875, and we could get that down to roughly 4% with about an 18 months to recoup uh, based on the savings. So basically, uh, 18 months to recoup the, I guess, the... um, refinance the closing costs and stuff yeah so we don't need the cash to purchase another home as we're just going back and we're going to be moving back into the rental that we have in delaware okay while we wouldn't be making a killing quote unquote um trying to look at a house as a passive income stream it's in a decent neighborhood the house was renovated before we moved in lots of people are moving to denver as i've mentioned i currently have a rental so i don't have so i so I do have an idea of what it takes to manage one of these things. So do we sell and take the cash and invest elsewhere? Or do we rent this thing out and turn it into a passive income stream? P.S. Okay. Matt, my buddy JP was telling me you guys work together. Small world. <laughs> yes, I do know JP. <laughs> yes. I'm actually going to go see him tonight. As a matter of fact. Cool. I'm going to Denver tonight. Um, so. This is a very awesome question because it's so specific and the numbers are here for us to work with. Mm. And I'm going to defer this to you because I feel like here's here. I will, I will add one thing yeah. to this. Denver is hot. It is. Denver is a fucking hot ass market right now. So, and I know that from just talking to people in the area, I live here roughly. So I want to just say that out loud. And then I want you to give me your thoughts. Okay. So I put this in the frame of reference of Laura and I's rental properties. And mm-hmm. specifically, um, we did an episode kind of like recapping what what like what we've earned in the two and a half mm-hmm. years. And now it's more, but I didn't feel like doing the math again. So I'm just going to use the math from that one. On average, in a month, we will earn about $1,000 a month give or take, depending on whatever, in cash from profit after yes. all expenses. Yep. Take take that as it is. Okay. Right? But when I calculated the entirety of the value of these investments, that includes appreciation and essentially someone paying our mortgage and us gaining equity into the property as a result of that, we actually wound up earning about $3,800 a month on average. Okay. And I hear what you're getting at. And so yeah. the cash on cash is like the way I, I view it is like the tip of the iceberg. It is at least in our 
case, one fourth of the actual value that we're getting from the property. Mm-hmm. Because the rest is kind of like sight unseen until you sell it or you get you sure. refinance it with like a, a burr strategy type thing. Yep. And so one, I think uh, from our limited experience, you have three properties. We're not like landlord moguls or anything. Sure, sure. It is an, it has been an incredible investment for us. You also okay. have experience renting and doing that thing on the other side of the US, you know, the property manager deal, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I think you should definitely do it. I also just want to say, like, even if you were, your expenses were $17.50 and you're going to yeah, make- Yeah, you're saying definitely do it, meaning rent it. Right. But I'm saying, like, let's say your okay. profit was only $250 a month without the refinance, right? I yeah, think sure. it is super worth it. And the reason I think so is because- you, Matt included, me and you both have built massive passive income stream empires essentially off the back of $200 a month increments. The things that we have created, you know, whether it's a single episode on a podcast or a SaaS thing or this or that, these are all small numbers that over mm-hmm. time and with persistence add up into large numbers. And the only way you get to $20,000 a month in passive income is by taking the $250 a month. And then when you're able to, in a year or two, adding another $250, it'll eventually accelerate and you're adding it quicker, but you got to start. Yeah. Um, And so it is only $250, but it's also $250. Like it is worth it. It is, but now that's not considering what it costs to turn over a property mm. each time you get a new tenant. That's not including the property manager cost. That's not including the um, any sort of like vacancies. So the, late the one payments. to four ex- example that I gave was including all the costs. Like okay, we over two and a half years we profited about one hundred twenty thousand on it. So but cash, but cash. Cash flow is important in this scenario. Yes, for sure. And, you can't and, be negative and, cash flow. That's how you sink. Exactly. So I think $250, which is basically, well, it's actually what, $1725. It would be what, $275. Um, he, I, I think um, the refinance is interesting. Mm. I, I think it might be worth refinancing. In this oh, case. for sure. Only to wa- only to widen the margin of error. I super like, agree. If you yeah, if you're making if you if you think you can get two thousand dollars per month, and I think and I it, only knowing that the, I know the Denver market's hot, you pr- can probably get more than that. Mm. Just because if you just if you do some like really minor upgrades to the house, maybe before you leave, or like just you know small things. You might be able to get a little bit more. Interview a but few property should... managers and see what they think it'll go for. They know yeah, better true. than right. Zillow. True. So I think that one, you can probably make more than you know a couple hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And I think you need to any you need to do anything in your power to widen that as much as possible. Right? You need to widen. You need to get more cash flow coming in. The refinance one, I would look at a streamline. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you can get down to four percent without actually coming to the table with any closing costs, that, that might be worth an it. Excellent point. Talk, talk to your uh, current bank. They might be able to do it as opposed uh, to losing you, you know, as a customer. Yeah. As opposed, yeah. As opposed to like you shopping around. Right. 
Um, and that way you're not putting any cash up front. But yes, I think ultimately re- looking at a different refinancing options, you know, actually that's what I'm currently doing. Mm. I just got this letter in the mail. I don't know if I should share this or not. Yeah, but why not? I'm sitting, I'm sitting on it. Okay. Just well, don't give the address. Because I'm, I'm reading my mail out loud. <laughs> so this is from Dear my Matt, bank. G.I.O. <laughs> <laughs> um, As a valued customer. Uh, so this letter, I'm sitting on it because... We had an we did an episode recently where we talked about I think my property. I didn't think we do a lot of episodes where we talk about me and my woes of my property. Um, but I think you met. I think you said, "Dude, refinance." Mm. Like it makes sense to refinance in your scenario. We, we ran the is, numbers, and yeah. yeah, this is from my own bank, mm. and they're pretty much offering me um, some cash. $27,785 to refinance. And they, they say it, I could, so what they say is, let me, let me just read this to you. And I don't, again, this is a sales letter, so it's not like definitive, but they say you may be one of our customers who can benefit by managing the equity that has grown in your home. Our analysts of your current mortgage shows that you may be eligible to refinance and get up to $27,785 with an asterisk, asterisk, to consolidate bills, set aside for emergency, or pay for something on your wish list. And they're just trying to get me to go, I could have $27,000 right now? Oh, my God. And all I'm thinking by looking at this is This smacks of 2006. Oh, 100%. But what I'm looking at is, well, if I can lower my mortgage by $27,785, that's going to lower my monthly payment by a lot. And it's going to well, okay. So I don't even know half of the numbers, but if you're getting cash out, it will likely imply that your your payment will stay the same or go up, and you'll lose. Well, what equity. if I put, what? But what if I apply that exact money that I got right into the mortgage? So in that case, you would essentially be doing a streamline. Yep. And so in that case, I think it would make sense because no closing again costs. based on the previous episode and. You know, just these interest rates, we're, we're really mm-hmm. not talking about a lot of money difference. No. Um, but, uh, but on this yes. specific example, I definitely think that you should refinance it. You'll increase the gap, which will reduce yep. your risk for renting. Mm-hmm. So if shit goes whatever, you have breathing room. And it's clear that you know how to do this. Yeah. You have that place in Delaware. It's your like, first rodeo. awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like I, th- I feel like I could do this again as much as it has stressed me out. But now that I have a property manager and things are working and I understand, I've gone through so many trial and error periods with my condo that I feel like I finally understand how the shit works. Mm. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, you have to kind of like get a, you know, you have to set boundaries yeah. as a, as a, as a person who like accepts tenants. Just, just from where the area, like you learn those th- sort of things by trial and error. And if you have a nice house, you could price up in the market. You right. know, there, yeah. Get and there's people. just like, and there's little minor upgrades you can make in order to increase the the rent. And so, yeah, I think, Jim, the long term play, long term play, man. Like, certainly rent this thing out. I think Denver is on a giant upswing. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean that's again that's advice. I'm not. I I here's what I don't know, and you don't know either, mm. Andrew. 
We don't know where the fuck the market's going. No. But in the long term, you know, obviously maybe in five years it tanks. I don't know. But Enough. I don't make any decisions based on five years. But you know what? When the market tanks, everyone's going to be renting, baby. That's right. <laughs> everyone's going to be renting. So, <laughs> but also, I, I just think Laura and I's yeah. rental properties in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. You know, your yeah. your mileage may be far better than ours if Denver sure. remains hot, which it seems. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. So, Jim, thank you. I'll say hi to JP. I don't know Jim's last name, but maybe we can get it off air um, so I can tell him that I know JP. Mm. Or I could just tell him that exact story tonight, and he'll be like, oh. <clears throat> Jim. <laughs> Got it. I know Jim. All right. So thanks, man. Uh, all right. Final question. Unless we want to do a sixth question because we have it. Do, we do have one. We'll see how you feel. Okay. Um, this one's from Elizabeth. For our family, the biggest challenge is wading through immense student loan debt and managing that with a toddler. My husband is a veterinarian and I work in clean energy. So we both make good salaries, but we still pay a large amount of our post-tax income to student loan debt and childcare, a minimum of $3,700 a month. A lot of money. That's a lot of money. Are there any tips? Oh my God. Are there any tips on how to stay positive and motivated on the long journey towards financial, financial stability? We are doing well and celebrate small wins. But paying off debt is way less exciting than saving for a rental property. <laughs> That's, she added ha. Oh, I was like, uh, why are you okay. laughing at her? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't. <laughs> no, that was a really but good I, sound I, bite. I, we'll, we'll play that. <laughs> oh, okay. Great. Great. Thank you. Um, we, hope to be a student, we hope to be student loan debt free in five to seven years. So it would be great to hear about ways to stay on track and make the experience a positive one. Versus feeling like a slog. Mm. This is the greatest question of all time. Yes. It is It is the culmination of like pretty much everything. And I, I don't know about you. Thank you, Elizabeth. All right. Then you go. Because I feel like I can just riff off of what you're going to say. Because I, I, again, this is so oh, excellent. Okay. One, because you feel this way uh, and you're, you're like already thinking about your finances. So you're going to be like super fine. You're listening yeah. to the show and not that like because you listen to the show, you're going to be fine, but because you're like actively thinking about your money and you're trying to make the right decision, you're going to be fine. So you can chill. You know out. you're a genius. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you've already crossed the biggest hurdle, which is like caring about the outcome, right? And making like right. small incremental smart decisions. That said, um, I, I kind of like reflected on my own life in thinking about this and I've had like so many goals, you know, whether yeah. it was like to hit a hundred thousand dollars in net worth or make a hundred thousand dollars a year or for like Laura and I to get a home that we owned and we lived in or to build a business or to like work on the business full time, you know, all awesome things that are like on the path. And, uh, it turns out that like none of it changed anything. Like hmm. they're all just like these milestones, milestones. in the journey and right. the goalposts move. And so you hit a hundred thousand and it's not like, Oh my God, I finally achieved success. Like, let me call my mom. And you may call your mom, but the thing is well before you hit that, your mind is already on the next milestone 
So when you hit 100,000, you kind of just like, woo, yeah, all right, let's have a beer. And then you're done. Right. And so. And, they, and, they, and, they, and she mentions they celebrate small wins, which is. It. That's it. Cert- that is it. It doesn't I get think- better. It doesn't change. <laughs> you know? Like, and I think you have yeah. to be kind of happy now. Right. And it's like you have to appreciate that you're on the right path where you're trying to as much as possible be on the right path. And then just like look elsewhere, because I'll tell you what, if like you were to fast forward 10, whatever years, pay off all your student loan debt and you've worth like a million dollars, you might even just be a crabbier person because you're going to be older. <laughs> it's going to be like, I don't know, life is going to make you salty. So it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really do anything. Yeah, um, to kind of build off of that, I would say that like there are rich, sad people mm, in yes. the world, and there are happy, poor people, right? Um, and perhaps more of the latter <laughs> than the, the former. More of the no, the former, right? Um, one, one, I agree with that. What you said is like you are actively thinking about it now, and so therefore you are fine. You will make the right decisions in the future. You're you're going to make the right decisions now. You are just that type of person that is going to make good financial decisions. And I, and again, you are listening to this podcast, so it's like it's baked in your ear. Uh, when I, to be fair, when I um, was doing this podcast back in the day, when I was when we when we when you and I actually started this podcast, I was extremely great with money at that point. Like I had learned so much from doing the podcast, I was actively thinking about money every week because we were doing this every week we were doing seven days a week so i was always thinking about money then we broke up and i and i not that i was shitty with money during those three years but not as good as i am now today being back on the podcast for the last year i am better and the reason for that is because it is front of mine more than it is back of i thought it was because you got to look at my face no, oh, well, of course. Your face saves me money. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> your face, your face earns me a seven percent return on my investment. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> but, but I think one that I that 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 just to point out some numbers here: thirty seven hundred dollars in student loan debt and child care. One, you are paying for your child care. That's worth money. Two. You both have really good jobs, and that is the cost of having those really good jobs, mm. right? I again being able loans, to fund that education with no money, right? Right. Student loans are a you know they have all the problems associated with it. I I I am glad that I didn't have them, but uh, I know a lot of people. You'd have who to have, have gone them. to college to have them. <laughs> I've had to have gone to, yeah. <laughs> Just putting you, that out there. I know a lot of people who have them who have paid them off um, in in who have paid them off. But this is a Five best case scenario because they're having high earning jobs as the result of their degree, yeah. not like a degree yeah. in basket weaving. Exactly. Five to seven years is a very short timeline for paying off student loans. And it is it. I will say that um, we've personally we've read it feels a ton of horror stories in our email. Like yeah. you're you're doing good. Sorry, yes. I like keep interrupting yes. you. No, no, that's fair. Um, I would say that being debt free is certainly a fine way to be. Not to <laughs> not to invoke a rhyme by any means, but 
it is not going to change your life. Mm. I am I am essentially kind of debt free if you uh, remove the property that I own from the from the equation. Mm. But it doesn't make me any happier as a person day to day. Um, back of envelope makes, math. Laura and I definitely have over seven hundred thousand dollars in debt. <laughs> so our, there you go. Thankfully, our net worth is far higher than that. But yeah, sure. Um, my net worth is not even that high. Um, money is not a motivator for me as a person. I value uh, other things in life that are not calc- that can't be calculated by numbers. Mm. Um, and so, this idea of celebrating small wins doesn't have to be money related. They can be small wins in your job. Maybe you did something good in your job. Maybe uh, your child walked. Maybe they drew an awesome picture that's impressive. Maybe, I don't know, maybe your friend got a a, a cool job or had a milestone in their life and you celebrate their small wins. I think if we're going on a more philosophical level here, because I feel like this is where this question is, which is why I love it so much is that if money is the motivation for happiness, you are in a world of hurt. Yeah. Because there are, it, because it is just one metric and it is a vanity metric. That is the there best are, way to describe it. It really yeah, is a are, vanity metric. And it's the one so many, that only you care about. Literally, no one else cares about it. No one sees it. No one knows it. You don't wear it on your forehead like an episode of Black Mirror, right? The, the fascinating thing that I found is that as you move up this, like, I don't know, wealth ladder, you're solving these problems and you're just like mm-hmm. taking away these issues, these new ones that you didn't even know existed present themselves. And so I, yeah. maybe they're like, you know, better problems to solve, but you still mm-hmm. are going to have all these same style issues. They're just going to be right. different. Yeah, they'll be different. If there's anything that I've learned from moving out here into Colorado, don't do and I was it. talking about <laughs> is don't do it because I want to buy all the houses here because it's a booming market. Jim, you're welcome. Uh, but I, I've I've actually slowed down a bit mm. out here um, because it's like you know what, cool. You know, I want I want a lot of things in the world. I want to cross milestones, but also. I just want to make, I want life to be easy and fun mm. at the same time. And I've only really experienced it out here because I feel like life is just generally slower out here. No one's like push, push, push New York, DC, Philadelphia. It's always about like hustling, get the next dollar, like that kind of mentality. And out here, it's really not. And it's refreshing. It's a different perspective. So if there's anything I've learned, it's like time is 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 on your side uh, i believe that's a uh rolling stones quote and um i don't know i i i think you're 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 well on your way you know five five to seven years is a good goal um in five years you know your child will be older you will you will probably want to buy a bigger house and maybe not even have a rental property and that's fine too your entire goal may change in five years and you'll have a lot more money and to make things easier in the short term, just automate your payments, 
try to ignore them as much as possible and not in a bad way. So, but yeah, I, I there's like this say? great quote that I love and I kind of want to like end on it where it's like, okay, staying on the East Coast makes you like hard. And then, you know, so like you want to leave the East Coast before you get too like hard and you want to move, you know, go to the West Coast. But you want to stay there so long that you get like soft and, and it's way more elegant. Um, and so I just Googled stay on East Coast makes you hard. <laughs> and <laughs> the results are so bad. <laughs> don't Google that. All right. Don't Google <laughs> getting hard on the East Coast. <laughs> but really, it's not about a, a, a location. I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think said well. I, I hope. Okay, I hope that I hope that helps in some way. Um, thank you, Elizabeth, for your question. Appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who sent in their question. Elizabeth, Jim. Let's talk about Jason. Let's talk about Amanda. Let's talk about Kelly. Thank you for sending in your questions. We could always use more questions. We love doing these episodes, and we appreciate the responses mm. that we get for sure. And we will do more of these for sure. Okay. So if you missed anything, we'll have everything in the show notes. Don't you worry. Either you check your preferred podcast app or visit listenmoneymatters.com slash show. And please subscribe wherever you normally listen to podcasts. And please tell your friends about us. Point them to your favorite episodes and hopefully they'll become a subscriber too. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about on future episodes of this show, please email us listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And while you email us, send in some catchphrases, people. Damn right. All the tools and resources that we normally mention on the show are available at listmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. All right, that's it. Later, Andrew. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show. (laughs) 